This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io. P-R-Y-M-L Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. This episode is the fourth of the miniseries Rust and Machine Learning. I'm very glad to have you on the show. And let's dig into Rust for Machine Learning Applications. If I had to give a title to this episode, I would definitely call it Practical Tools for Machine Learning. <laughs> because uh, uh, there are, you know, we have been speaking about um, what Rust is, uh, what Rust is great at, uh, what Rust is probably not good at in the previous episodes. And, and we actually came to the conclusion that Rust is definitely great for serving machine learning models in production when it comes to machine learning, of course. A lot of data engineering aspects can be greatly covered by Rust. Uh, that's, you know, where a, a language, programming language that is born as systems programming is definitely great at. And plus there is, you know, a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on in terms of uh, stability, memory safety, of course, performance, portability. These are all ingredients that you want to find whenever it comes to uh, applications running in production. And so we have been discussing of the needs of the machine learning expert of the future, not so much in the future. I mean, these are things that are required even today. For example, edge computing, or as I said, serving machine learning models in production, you might be good by running a Python application as long as that application is simple. And also uh, as long as you know, you're prototyping things, that's perfectly fine. But when it comes to looking for, you know, squeezing the hardware to your needs, or looking for memory safety, for example, concurrency, race conditions, well, you don't want to turn to Python to for performance reasons, you don't want to turn to uh, C, C++ for safety reasons, you would like to, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds, which is uh, performance and, of course, safety at the same time. And that's exactly where and why you would choose Rust. Why I would call this episode Practical Tools for Machine Learning? Well, because the typical data scientist and machine learning expert uh, is used to have a quite complete set of tools kind of, you know, a Swiss knife for any uh, particular occasion. Uh, and so I will mention in this episode, what are the um, closest equivalent to what we are used to today coming from the uh, Python ecosystem. Now, I've been long enough in the Python ecosystem uh, to understand uh, that Python is definitely a language that's great at prototyping stuff, is great at, you know, testing and um, creating new algorithms and see how they work or if they work. But again, when it comes to production, 
I have been long enough into the Python using the Python ecosystem to convince myself that's definitely a very bad choice. A lot of money can be saved on infrastructure if you just switch from a Python stack to a stack implemented in a lower level language. Especially when you have an you know, impressive number of API calls, for example, or just minimal hardware. Um, edge computing is one of them, and we will hear more and more of this as we go. Now, when uh, it comes to the tools, um, definitely one thing that machine learning engineers and uh, data scientists are very familiar with is uh, NumPy. So in Python, you have the NumPy library that allows you to uh, compute um, to perform calculations with linear algebra on arrays or vectors, matrices, and etc. And so there is an equivalent uh, in Rust. It's called NDArray. It's, it's called Crate. So in Rust, all these libraries and frameworks are called Crates, right? And they can be uh, searched on Crates.io, which is the official website where you can find for Crates for pretty much everything. Now, the NDRA crate provides an n-dimensional container for general elements and for numerics. And so in n-dimensional, the authors have included, for example, one-dimensional rows or columns, two-dimensional matrices, and of course, also arrays of number of dimensions higher than two. And if the array has multiple dimensions, of course, an element in the array is, uh, can be accessed by using that many indices, and each dimension is also called an axis in the you know, typical jargon for linear algebra and uh, matrix calculations. Now, and the array includes, among other things, matrix multiplication, binary, unary operations out of the box. There are also advanced linear algebra routines, for example, a single value decomposition or eigenvalue computation. All these can be found in a library called ndarray-linalg. That stands for linear algebra, of course. There is some uh, basic functionality in the statistics uh, field uh, with um, ndarray-stats. And of course, if you're looking to generate random arrays, you can check ndarray-rand. One thing that I really want to point out here is that when you want to calculate in a very efficient way, for example, floating point matrix multiplication or calculations on very large matrices, you can also optionally use BLAS and you, to improve even further your application. So BLAS for the record it stands for Basic Linear Algebra Subprograms. And that's a specification that prescribes a set of low-level routines for performing common linear algebra operations. For example, dot products, scalar multiplication, uh, vector operations, matrix multiplication, and so on. In fact, BLAS is the de facto standard low-level routines for linear algebra libraries. And uh, the backend has been written in C and Fortran, and there are, of course, bindings for both languages. And uh, the nice thing that I want to mention is that NDRA can take advantage of BLAS, so you don't have to, in fact, rewrite and re-optimize, but you can just leverage all the efforts that has been done in the years when it comes to linear algebra operations and just run BLAS stuff natively in your Rust application. That's awesome. When we speak about data science, we also speak about data frames. And so if you think about pandas, that's where you want to go, right? So pandas is a, I would say it's much more than a Swiss knife. It's, it's an amazing framework. It allows you to 
deal with a number of file formats, uh, tabular formats, JSON, semi-structured fi- uh, semi-structured formats and the like. But it's not just that, you know, all the operations that you might think of doing on a data frame, which is kind of a, you know, two-dimensional tabular data structure, it's usually supported by pandas, if not more. Now, when it comes to Rust, I think that the, here there is something lacking, uh, lacking here uh, due to the fact that Rust is a relatively young language. And so we cannot expect that there is the same level of maturity that we had, for example, for Python. Python is more than 20 years old. And uh, of course, there are a number of frameworks and libraries that have been, you know, people have been implementing in the years. And also the community is one of the, you know, the data science community is one of the biggest communities that you might think of probably in the history of computer science. So, you know, you cannot compare these two things. You cannot compare these two languages. But it's also true that um, when you go to production, most of the time you're not using all the possibilities of pandas. You're not using all the possible features of pandas. You're probably focusing on that particular pandas functionality that is specific to your project. And that's what you're, you know, what you're actually using in production. Now, this is key because uh, in Rust, there is an equivalent to pandas, of course, much more limited than the original pandas uh, framework. And that that is called Rust-DataFrame. Of course, I will report all the links of what I'm talking about in the show notes of the episode that you can get from datascienceatom.com or from Apple Podcast, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Now, back to Rust-DataFrame. One thing that I definitely have to notice is that Rust data frame is currently borrowing functions from Apache Spark. And so what the authors did, in fact, is um, powering the Rust implementation of data frame by Apache Arrow. And so this means that many functions can be actually used out of the box without re-implementation because they, in fact, come from the Apache Arrow community and library and set of libraries. And among these, there is scalar functions, aggregate functions, array functions, window functions, etc. So this project is actively developed. It's an amazing library. I'm playing with it recently and learning a lot, to be honest. Authors are also considering to include lazy computation, a bit like in Dask. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dask, but Dask is another, is kind of a pandas-like for out-of-memory data frames, uh, which allows you to let's say spread or distribute your massive table or data frame uh, across a number of machines in your clusters, and then definitely calculate on each node independently in a kind of a map reduced fashion. It's an amazing framework that allows you to definitely build a computational graph and then hit the button compute and you will see, you know, things calculated in a distributed fashion. It's really, it's really cool. And so what the, what the authors are thinking to include in the Rust data frame implementation is exactly that. It's called lazy computation. I am really looking forward to that because probably it's going to be like a million times faster than Dask. Now, let's move to more complex frameworks like, uh, for example, scikit-learn, right? So scikit-learn is kind of the de facto standard, probably state of the art for off-the-shelf machine learning algorithms in Python. And uh, the good thing of scikit-learn is that the backend is uh, usually written in C, though many parts are definitely written in Python, so they are interpreted and they are bloody slow. There has been an effort uh, a few years ago to cover that part in Rust, and to be honest with you, I have to say that uh, we are not really in good shape there. So there is uh, Rust Learn, 
a bit in the same flavor of scikit-learn. It's not really mature. A lot of things are missing. I've been on the GitHub repo of Rust-learn and it seems to be it's quite dead. Uh, there are very old commits and very limited number of models. For example, logistic regression, support vector machines using libsvm library, by the way, which is state of the art. Logistic regression is using stochastic gradient descent, so also good there. Um, decision trees and uh, random forests uh, using cart decision trees as a backend algorithm. And uh, I think they also provide um, an implementation of factorization machines. So these are pretty basic, like they don't really cover all the possible all the possible models usually covered by scikit-learn uh, but again if you are focusing on a logistic regression which frankly you know especially in production is one of the most used applications in machine learning that you might find you probably should be set by running that in rust now uh, jokes apart uh, it's uh, i don't think it's uh, it's sufficient but i uh, plus the project is quite dead but i just want to mention it because I was on the on the repo and uh, I was learning a lot from you know these implementations how authors would implement this same thing that I use every day almost in Python how would they be written in Rust and so it was a very very nice learning experience that I had. Um, they also provide a basic cross validation for example k-fold cross validation or shuffle split and the regular metrics for measuring performance for example accuracy area under the curve rock curve, mean absolute error, mean squared error, and the like. Very similarly to Rust-Learn, there is Rusty Machine, Rusty-Machine. It's another machine learning framework. Uh, again, it's not mature. I think it's no longer maintained. At least that's what I've been reading on the GitHub repo. Uh, again, I mention it because it's really well written. I, I have no clue why the authors stopped maintaining that. Probably they moved somewhere else or probably they renamed. I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, if you guys find out, please let me know. I would definitely like to know. And uh, not only that, if you want to speak about these things, do not forget that we are back on Discord. Uh, we have a Data Science at Home uh, channel, so feel free to jump in, chat with us, and uh, provide uh, some insight on the previous episode or even propose new ones. I mean, it's always great to have you there and, uh, and exchange a few words once in a while. So back to Rusty Machine. Um, Rusty Machine uses a linear algebra backend in, in Rust as well. Uh, it's quite complete, but there is a lot of room for optimization. And definitely, I think that's where the biggest mistake from the authors uh, has been. Uh, they should have supported BLAS or LAPAX, which is you know the, the de facto standard for linear, linear algebra operations. And I'm not sure they do. So they basically re-implemented something in Rust, which to be honest, does make sense to me. But anyway, the set of models they provide an implementation for is quite interesting. There are uh, linear regression, logistic regression, generalized linear models, of course, neural networks. There is a bit of clustering, dbscan, k-means clustering. There is a principal component analysis. There is a Gaussian mixture models, k-nearest neighbor classifiers, and, and so on. So it's pretty complete. I mean, definitely not as complete as you would expect from, for example, a scikit-learn equivalent. Uh, but for production environments, I think they cover uh, most of the usual, you know, the typical requirements for production. 
let's move to neural networks because you know data science machine learning is also about neural networks and here i have to say that uh, there is a bit more maturity in the ecosystem uh, in particular starting from tensorflow bindings uh, this is a crate that depends on the tensorflow implementation in the c programming language which is the official one uh, and so if you want to use this you first need to download and or compile the c api first and then you would be good to use uh, the rust binding the reason why i mentioned this is because probably uh, your application that is doing for example neural networks or machine learning or deep learning it probably has been implemented in rust and so in order to maintain an homogeneous code base uh, you would definitely like to have some binding in uh, some bindings in uh, in uh, in rust if you're using tensorflow uh, so in order to you know to not, not to create diversity in your code base to maintain a homogeneous code which is always great for maintenance when it comes to neural networks and we already mentioned tensorflow definitely the next thing that we have to speak about is gpus and so kudas and kudianan what's the rust position there uh, well there is rust kudianan that provides safe wrappers for uh, kudas kudianan libraries and so you can use it you know safely in your rust application so that you can start playing with your gpu or transferring matrices and vectors and tensors from your main memory to the gpu memory performing calculations with leveraging the gpu power and then sending back your results to memory or to the cpu so you can do all these things with rust qdnn which by the way depends on the qdnn runtime libraries and this can be obtained from the official website nvidia so this means that you know i don't expect any performance loss there these are all official libraries plus or even the bindings are running in native code in a very low level language so definitely performance would be great there still in the realm of um, very complex or larger machine learning frameworks i think that i found one that is extremely interesting it's called juice uh, it's another crate and um, is in fact an open machine learning framework for hackers <laughs> exactly not for scientists but for hackers why is it for hackers is because it allows you to build classical or deep or hybrid machine learning applications by providing you with the basic blocks that you can definitely assemble and start building complex things so for example if you want to write a a neural network or a deep learning model in general you can definitely start with layers and solvers and you you know you have these basic blocks that you can put together and build your deep learning model now of course this can also be used for you know to build classical machine learning algorithms not only deep learning and other fancy machine intelligence applications one thing worth mentioning is definitely that the people behind juice are the same people behind tensorflow cafe torch and uh, the other frameworks that are currently state-of-the-art when it comes to uh, deep learning applications another thing that i want to mention about juice is that it is extremely portable as many rust applications in fact and so it can run on cpus it can run on gpus it can run on fpgas it can run on machines with an operating system and machines without an operating system <laughs> I mean, how weird is that this is usually the case when you're dealing with edge computing 
many times you have you know these real-time operating systems or sometimes you don't even have an operating system because the hardware is so minimal that installing an operating system would be <laughs> definitely out of league in all these scenarios what you want to do is using a framework that can cope with that juice can also run with opencl or cuda the people behind Juice are really, really talented individuals. It's not an easy tool, I have to be honest here. Uh, so don't expect that um, you're gonna sit and uh, code and in 10 lines, boom, you have your machine learning model, forget about it. But it's definitely worth uh, trying. It's, uh, it's for very curious minds. And as I said, for hackers, that's exactly what it is. The very last piece of the puzzle when it comes to machine learning applications is reinforcement learning. So reinforcement learning frameworks in Rust do not exist except for one framework that I found, which is um, Rust reinforcement learning. It goes under the name of RSRL, which stands indeed for Rust reinforcement learning, I guess. Uh, here, I don't really agree with the authors. They say that reinforcement learning should be fast, safe, and easy to use. That's their tagline, which is amazing. I mean, that's, that's true. If you want reinforcement learning to be fast, safe, and easy to use, probably you don't want Rust. Well, maybe, okay, if you want something fast, definitely. But if you want something safe and easy to use, I mean, I'm, I'm really worried of that easy to use. Definitely Rust is not the right thing for you. The authors also say that uh, there are efficient implementations of existing methods for rapid prototyping. Now, again, I believe that these implementations are way more efficient than the Python equivalent. For example, OpenAI, they have an amazing library there but it's definitely not good for rapid prototyping. So I think that this can be a bit misleading. And so in order for you to save time, I would recommend that if you are dealing with reinforcement learning, probably you uh, will have to deal with a relatively long period of uh, prototyping things, trying your new algorithm, trying different policies for your optimization. And definitely, I, I, I'm not sure you should be doing these things in Rust. Uh, probably Python and OpenAI are uh, are an amazing solution, but when you are happy with that and you need to go into production and you need to be fast and safe at the same time, that's when you need Rust. And definitely you would uh, rewrite your algorithm in, in a Rust framework and that's where RSRL would make sense. Another thing worth noting is that Rust reinforcement learning enables the BLAST feature. Again, basic linear algebra subprograms. The backend is compatible with NDRA. And so you can add all these dependencies and uh, leverage the uh, efforts and the optimizations that have been implemented in the BLAST de facto standard for linear algebra operations. So that's great. And definitely thumbs up to reinforcement learning frameworks in Rust. I think I made a relatively complete list of uh, what you should be expecting uh, when it comes to machine learning frameworks from the Rust community. Uh, as you can understand, there is not the same level of maturity that we have with Python applications. That can never be the case. I mean, never, well, never say never, definitely, but uh, not now. Due to the fact that Rust is a very young language with respect to Python, and also, Rust is much more difficult to, to, to write. Uh, Python is for um, people who are 
uh, we don't really need to deal with the memory management. We don't really need to deal with the, you know, hardware and uh, low-level registers and stuff like that. Pointers, definitely. Race condition, buffer overflows, and all the other nasty things that we said in episode one. Of course, you know, comparing Rust to Python is like comparing Apple to oranges. And, and that would not be fair. You know when to use Rust. I hope that this mini-series was uh, elucidating a lot of concepts and uh, clarified some of the doubts that we uh, we all had about Rust. I think Rust is an amazing language. I'm saying it here again. It's the language of the future. And uh, in 10 years, if not less, Rust is going to be a standard. I'm telling you, time will tell. That's it for today. I'll talk to you next time. This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io. P-R-Y-M-L dot I-O. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.